So we're going we're gonna to jump right into week three of the series that we started on Valentine's Day weekend. We're doing a really in-depth, kind of um, almost uh, verse by verse, even a little deeper. We're going phrase by phrase through what's known as the love chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You hear it read at almost every wedding. I've, I read it at every wedding I've ever officiated. And, and there's some, several things in there that describes what we know as, as unconditional love. You know, week one, we really teed it off with the definition of love. What does love mean? Because we've only got one English word for love. And so you can love your dog, and it's the same word as, as loving your spouse, right? Or you love ice cream, and, and, and you know, so it's one word. But in, in, in the language that the New Testament was written in, it's four different words. And so we're looking at that, what's known as agape, that God-given love. It's unconditional. And, and the writer of Corinthians gives us a real word picture of what this love that, that we've all been called to not only enjoy, but to reflect in our lives what it's like, the mechanics of it. He gives several things of what this agape, unconditional love does, and then he gives six or seven things on what love doesn't do. We're going to call them, we call them love busters. Let's read it together. Verse 4, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians it says that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Verse 8 says that love never fails. So our assignment this morning is, is in right there at, at the beginning, verse 5. It says that what this love does, this unconditional love, it keeps no record of wrongs. Now that's easy to talk about in theory, right? But that's kind of hard to live. That it, it keeps no record of wrongs. That there's, there's no disrespectful judgments in this love. It doesn't bring things from past relationships into new relationships, the, the offenses and the, the hurt. But it, it, it doesn't cling to those things, because we all have those things. But it doesn't hold on to them. It doesn't internalize them. And so how do we approach this? You know, this is a really tough subject. But one of the um, verses I, I wanted to share before we jump into this is in Luke 17. And he's sharing, Jesus is sharing with his disciples and he's sharing something really powerful to them. He's basically getting them ready for kind of the last half of their, of their lives. And he starts chapter 17 of Luke with, uh, with this. He says, it's, it's impossible to live in this world without offenses coming to your doorstep. So it's impossible. So there's really no way to live this life without somebody doing something to you that you don't like. Right, somebody you know hurting you or saying something about you. He says it's impossible for offenses for them not to come, and so that word offense. I want to. I want to just kind of look at that word. It, it it means this. It's a pretty powerful illustration. That 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 word offend is is it's scandalon in the Greek, but it really means it's the bait that you put in a trap. Anybody ever trapped an animal before? When we first moved out here, we had a. We moved out to the beach about 12, 12 years ago or so, and we, we rented a block house on the ground, like 800 square foot, 
tongue and groove ceilings. It was like incredible. Loved it. And one of the, one of the, some of the best memories of our life was in this little block house. Well, we had a, a little bit of a mice problem in this house. All right. And, and, and so uh, there were several ways I tried to fo- solve this mice problem. You know, one, anyways, I found out later after I've been, you know, using, I was using those little glue strips for them. You ever, if y'all know what I'm talking about, uh, it, it kind of, they, it, but, but the, the way for these things to work is you got to put some kind of bait in there. And then I found out later that these mice are endangered and they're like on the protective list. And, and so, so, so then I started using a cage, right? Like, cause you gotta, you've gotta trap them and you gotta move them somewhere else. But if you've ever trapped an animal, I haven't done a lot of it. I have trapped some beach mice in my day. There's two things you gotta have. There's a mechanism that goes off, but then there's bait. And when that word, when Jesus says it's impossible for offenses not to come, it's basically, it, the, the, the illustration is it's the bait put in a trap. It was, it was Jesus' way of preparing his disciples that people are going to do stuff that are going to hurt you. People are going to offend you. People are going are, are to take it way farther than they should. But don't let it become a prison. Don't let a lesson become a life sentence. And it's, it's, there's a book by a guy named John Brevere called The Bait of Satan. If you wanted to dig a little deeper into that illustration, it's amazing. Powerful book. And, and in that book, he talks about how Christians, that as we, as we grow and our faith develops, that it should be impossible for us to, to be offended. And I don't know if you've been out and about lately, but it's like people are offended at everything right now. Like... Like, I mean, people are upset, you know, the little things are getting people really bent out of shape. But I, I want to just, before we jump into this message, because talking about offense and talking about forgiveness, it's a really tough subject because everybody has a history with it. Everybody. Everybody has something that's happened and, and, and that we don't, you don't like to think about, you don't like to bring up. But I want to just give you a, a few things, three things that forgiveness is not. Myths about forgiveness. The first one is this, when forgiveness, when, it, when, when we forgive someone, it's, it's not minimizing the seriousness of the offense. When the writer says it keeps no record of wrongs, it doesn't mean it's like, you know, just as, hey, you should get over it, it wasn't a big deal. That when the Bible calls us to forgive, when Jesus calls us to forgive, that in order to live this life in freedom, he wants us to live a life where we're, we're, we're forgiven and we're forgiving. He's not saying that we just act like nothing happened. He's not saying that you should just make it, you know, make something really big and, and just turn it into a, a, no, like something small. No, he's, you know, he's saying it, it's going to sting. It's, there's going to be pain. It's not minimizing. Forgiveness is not minimizing the event. There's the second thing that forgiveness is not. When the writer says it keeps no records of wrongs, it's, it's not reconciliation, right? That partner that burns you years ago, you're probably not going to go into business with them again. <laughs> Right, you learn. Right? You know, like, it's not doesn't mean that you're going to sit down and be best friends with this person for the rest of your life. That if you forgive them, that it's reconciliation. That doesn't mean that. There may be that. You know, I, I call it the gift of goodbye. Come on, somebody. Right, it's a gift. That that some people come into your life, and it's a gift when they come in, and it's a gift when they go. You know, Andy Andrews, he's a local author. He he wrote a book about relationships, and in that quote, one of one of his quotes out of this book. Is he says, every, every good thing that's come into your life has come in through the form of a relationship. And I believe that. But if you flip that coin, there's some bad things that come into our lives. 
and they typically will come in through the form of a relationship. And so to live a forgiven life doesn't mean that I'm everybody's best friend and people could take advantage of me and I'm just going to keep taking it over and over. No, 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 that's not forgiveness. Sometimes it's presented that way, but that's not what, 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 that's not what the writer is telling us to do here. And then the last thing, the myths about forgiveness, is it doesn't mean that you're going to forget. Forgiveness is not forgiving or forgetting. You know, we, you've heard that saying before, forgive and forget, right? If you're still thinking about it, you're still bringing it up, then maybe you haven't moved on. But unfortunately, we're not God. God can do that. God says, I can take your sins and I'm going to separate them as far as the east is from the west. Can't find them anymore. I'm going to put them at the bottom of the ocean. You know, you're never going to see it again. I can, I can forget it. I can just take it out of my mind. But, but, but you're not God. And I'm not God. And when people cross us, people, when offenses come, it, it's, it's the, sometimes forgiving is easier than the forgetting part. Because we still think about it. We still remember it. It still comes up. It's still there. Now, so why is this important? Because I, I think that a lot of times, stuff that happens to us in our history, in our past, in relationships, we have the tendency to bring them into new ones. Don't amen me. I know this is, this is where it gets real quiet. That what, the way that Johnny treated me 10 years ago is now affecting my relationship with Jimmy. The way that Susie talked about me when we were friends and she said all those things and she, she did exact opposite of what a friend should do. Well, that, that relationship with Susie is now affecting my relationship with Sally because I'm just waiting on Sally to start doing what Susie was doing to me. And so we, we, offenses have this tendency to stick with us. That's why Jesus warned about it. He says it's a trap. Don't take the bait. Let it, he goes on in Luke 17. He says, if, if someone forgives you, forgive them. If they do it seven times in a day, that's 2,500 times a year. That's a lot. He says, take it like water on a duck's back. As quick as you can, let it go. I read about this little tribe in Polynesia. And, and when someone would wrong them, when someone would hurt them, they would take a little artifact from that event. Or they would make a little, like a little trinket, and they would hang it from the roofs of their tent so that they could remember to hate that person every time they looked at it. And I thought, that'll preach right there. And so it's, it, it's not like we can forget it. It's not like it didn't happen. But have we built some things in our minds? Are we rehashing things sometimes in our life where, where we were offended and we were hurt, but now we, we can't really get past it? And so I, I want to look at this. I want to I really give you just a, a few things I think will help us to not only get overcome offense, but to heal from things in our life that have hurt us. I can't tell you how many people that I have sat down with that will not come into a church because they were hurt in a church. Never come into the doors of a church again. That was a large, real big reason why we met in the marina for so long, and we're going to start doing that again Easter Sunday, 9 a.m. service, because there's a lot of folks that do not want to come into a church. Because you may have great memories connected to churches and sanctuaries and buildings, but there's a lot of people that don't. And so it's tough. So it's hard to let that go. And so how do we, how do, we do that? How, how do we move on 
from offense. And, and, and when, when the writer says this, when he says that love keeps no records of wrongs, I want to I really, read it the way that if we just laid it out in the original Greek, this is what it would sound like. It says that love does not store up the memory of any wrong it has received. Because you're probably going to remember it, right? But you're not, you're, not putting it in the, you're, you're not building trinkets and idols out of it. You're not thinking about it every morning. It's not the first thing that comes to your mind, like that little tribe in Polynesia. Like, like that, that's going to cultivate some bad things in our heart when we live that way. And, and Jesus doesn't want us living that way. God wants us living in freedom. God wants us to be able to take the pain of the past and be able to move forward and not just be gullible or let people continue to take advantage of you, but to be able to learn from those things. And so how do we do that? Love keeps no record of wrongs. I think the first step is that, you know, we, we really live in a time right now where, where the kind of the culture the culture, the, 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 the spirit of this age just kind of assumes the worst. I'm guilty of that. One of the last things that I would do when I, that I did when I left um, Pepsi, I worked there for about 10 years. Did y'all know that? Yeah. <laughs> and one of the last roles I had was continuous improvement. And so one of the things I would do would be called risk analysis. So I would walk through the warehouse and just dream up the worst case scenario. That it, like, like literally, like, okay, if he hits this pile, pallet of Pepsis, right, it's going to cause a domino effect. It's going to go through the window over here, right? Like, like risk analysis, that's a real thing. People do that. Do we do that in relationships? Do we dream up and assume the worst? Have you ever met the Horatio Cain of relationships? Y'all know who Horatio Cain, you know, the CIA Miami, you know what I'm talking about? CSI, I mean, like he would, he would show up at the crime scene and, you know, he'd take his little glasses and, and he would just connect all the dots and everybody, everything was a sign. Everything was a, was a clue. It was a, you know, part of the crime. And, and I think sometimes we can, we, that'll slither into our relationships and we're just suspicious of everybody. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm preaching to the choir. I, I mean, every person that walks by the front door, I'm like, what's going on out there? You know, you know I say, hang on, what's, what, what, you know, they're, they're walking their dog, but I'm getting ready. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I mean, I, I don't know, right? We're just suspicious. We're suspicious. Why? Because you've probably had some, you've got a history. You've lived a little while, and you know that, that, that people can do some crazy things. I heard a story about a guy after church. He walked up to his pastor and he said, Pastor, I got, I got to talk to you about something. I'm pretty sure that my, my dog loves me more than my wife. And the pastor looked at him and said, I, 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 don't, think, I don't know what you're talking about there. He's like, just let me, let me explain it to you. He says, I can prove it. I put my wife and my dog in the trunk of my car. I left. I came back in an hour. My dog was happy to see me. You know, and my, and my wife wasn't. <laughs> don't try that. I'm not telling you to, to try that. But we just don't forgive and forget because we have memories. You know, a, a, you know I feel like dogs are just unconditional love, right? You spell them backwards, it's G-O-D. And, I mean, they, you know, like you, they can, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, they're just, because well, they don't remember. We remember. 
And so we connect the dots and things that happened to us when we were 10 or 20 or 30, we still think about it. It's still in our, you know, it's still in our mind. And so we can get suspicious. Well, how dangerous is that? Charles Spurgeon said this in one of his lectures to some of his students. He said it would be better to be deceived a hundred times than to live a life of suspicion. I don't think Netflix has helped this. I don't think the murder next door, you know what I'm saying? All these documentaries about killers and all crimes. And, you know, I don't think that's helping this. But we just tend to do that. We tend every weird look, we read into it. They didn't reply to my text. Are they mad? Can't tell me people have left. Not, there's several people have left the church because, I, 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 you know, sometimes I, I don't reply back fast. One guy a couple weeks ago, he came up after church and he said, I, t- I sent you a text and, and I, I said, I'm sorry, let me, let me see. And I looked at his phone and he had the wrong number. I was like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> and I was like, you know, there, was a, there was a four and a seven that was slipped around. And, but, but we do that, right? Or, we, or we, try to, we try to interpret the emotional, like the emotional mood of a text. Like, oh, that was a little abrasive. You know, it was just a yes, but where's the emoji? Uh, you know, where, where's the, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there, you, typically he's a three emoji, emoji person, right? There's a smiley face cake and a, and a little horn. Don't you, we, we do it, right? Right, we do it. And so we, we assume the worst. We assume the worst. And so love keeps no record of wrongs. It says we're not storing up the evil that's happened. We're not storing up the, we're not storing up the pain. I don't have a list in my house of all the people that I'm going to get back when I have the opportunity. Three quick things, and then we're going to pray. I think the first way that we live this out is don't assume the worst in people. Assume the best in others. Assume the best. You're like, well, that's real naive, Pastor. You're young. You, you haven't lived very long. Well, assume the best in others and let them prove you wrong. How, how much easier would life be instead of taking all of the pain maybe and all the bad offenses that have happened to you and rather than waiting on that person or the person that's in your life now to treat you that way or the person you just hired to no-show like the last three, just assume the best, right? Give them the benefit of the doubt. I think that's what he's saying, that, that true love, that, that a love buster is when we're suspicious of everything that that person does, of the people in our life, that we're reading into every motive, we're reading into every conversation or every call that wasn't had, and let's just assume the best. Proverbs says it like this, 11 verse 27, if you search for good, you can put in a person after that, you're going to find favor, but if you search for evil, going to find you because the reality is is you're 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 probably going to find something if you look long enough and if you're suspicious enough and if you're critical enough eventually and what's funny is it's like looking in a mirror because the stuff that people do to us we still have the same capacity to do it back but this proverb is saying look for the good one one way i heard it a paraphrased version is that anyone can find the dirt in someone be the one who finds the gold Right, be a gold digger in people's lives. Come on, be—I mean, like uh, the good, the good version of it, right? You know, Kanye took it in another direction, but be the be a gold digger. Like, like, look, dig for treasure in your relationships, because everybody else is finding fault and pointing fingers, and it's easy to do that. It's easy to do that. Look for the good. Assume the best in others. The second thing that 
And this is, this is straight from, this is hard preaching, I know. This is sandpaper preaching. Like, this is getting down to the nitty-gritty and things. And this is more of an invitation to, of a way to live. Because we're going to make mistakes. But I think the second way, when somebody, when offense comes and somebody hurts you, pray for the well-being of that person, regardless of the circumstance. There's a lady that's gone home to be with God now, but her daughter's here. I called her Nanny Parker, and um, she, she was like my, like my nanny. I would go and see her. She had, her house was by my house, and um, she was, you, maybe you, your nanny was like this, or maybe she wasn't, or your grandmother. But every time I'd go and see her, she had, her Bible was out. She was reading. And, um, and when I was you know, younger, I, I was a little bit of an angry kid at times. <laughs> Right, I have my principal in high school. He's, he comes to church here, and he, you know, I had some corporal punishment moments. You know, I got where I got the the whipping, and I I, I kind of sowed some wild oats, and was a little bit wild because I was a bit of an angry kid, and I, I'll never I was mad at, at at the world, but then I was really mad at this certain person, and I'll never forget this conversation I had with my with with nanny, and I went into her house, and I said for sure. I'm going to just lay all this out to her. She was just this, she was a voice of, of wisdom. And I came in and I remember it was just me and her. Typically there was grandkids everywhere. There was never just, you know, no, you know, there was typically always somebody there. And she lived in Baghdad. Good people live in Baghdad, y'all. It's just north of here. But I, I just laid it out to her and I just told her how mad I was at this person. I felt like they left me. They forsake me. They didn't want, I mean, I, I just wanted this person to be in my life and he wasn't there. And I was mad. Stole, said some harmful things, hurt me, hurt my family. And she looked at me. He said, Nathan, you know there's good in every person. He said, sometimes the only way to find it is to pray for them. And I thought, she's lost her mind. <laughs> you know, no, I said that. But she said, I pray for the person I was talking to. She says, I pray for him every day. She says, you know, if you'll start praying for him, you may find something good in him. And, buddy, that just wrecked me. That is not what I wanted to hear, right? That is not what I was coming to her to, to hear. But I knew that she had to be right. And I'm finding in life it's hard to stay mad at a person that you're praying for. It's hard to stay bent up and just, and just eat up with bitterness and eat up with, with, with envy and whatever it is. It's, going, it's hard to harbor that stuff when you're praying for that person. Maybe that's why Jesus said this in Matthew 5. You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies, and he gives a way to do that. Pray for them. Now, this ain't popular preaching, and this never gets amens. But it's not for you, right? It's, or it's not for that, for that person. It, it's for you. Forgiveness is a gift. Offense is a prison that you can't get out of. And the more you dwell on it, and the more you hold on to it, and the more that you just dwell and ruminate on what that person did or didn't do, it just builds the walls higher. And I think what prayer does is it just it, it invites the Holy Spirit into that situation. And who knows, maybe God can deal with that person. But if he doesn't, he deals with us. 
And as we pray and as we ask God to help, I think this is what begins to happen. He begins to soften our hearts. Because offense has a, a, real, a real way of, of, of hardening our heart. Offense has a real way of causing us to just get hard towards people and, and, and hard in relationships. But when we begin to, to pray for that person, things begin to change. My first, like, first tenure in youth ministry, I, I, I was a, a youth pastor at a church in Navarre, and pretty, pretty awesome church, loved, loved it. And uh, one time we were doing this series on purity, right? And that's a real tough subject for teenagers, okay? Like, like how do you, how do, I don't even know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's just because they're kind of all in heat, you know what I'm saying? Like, and so you're, you're trying to like tell them, like, all right, put a governor on it for a while. You know, eventually you'll be able to let that baby roll. But, like, until then, you know those governors that you'd put on go-karts and stuff? Because you can hurt yourself if you just let it unleash. And, and so I, I was doing this series on purity, kind of like talking to a stop sign. And um, I thought, man, I, I talked about Joseph and Joseph's temptation. And I thought it was a great great message and in our the worship team they were all in college so they were all a little older and so yeah we had all you know it was the group was it was a it was like a hundred teenagers were coming at the time it was a it was awesome it was a lot of fun and and um the worship team had finished up and i got a call later that night from a member in the church and they said hey hey pastor Nathan. it was like 10 30 it's like okay she's like hey pastor nathan i, I don't i don't want to meddle but i'm a just want to let you know, I, I just seen, you know, so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so, the whole college worship team coming out of a gentleman's establishment over in Pensacola, right, a gentleman's club. I thought, well, thank you for letting me know that. You know, and I said, but, but my immediate reaction was I was so mad. You know what I mean? Like, I had just got through talking about Joseph's temptation, you know what I mean, and, and how, you know, stay away from, stay away from us and stay away from this stuff. It'll harm you. And I thought I did such a good job. And I'm like, and then they just roll up, j jump in a car, and then go and do that. I was furious. I was so mad. I called the pastor. I said, hey, we, have to, we need to have a come to Jesus meeting. We need to sit them down, right? We need to go old school. That's how it was dealt with in my, you know, the way they, they dealt with me. You know, I'd get, I, I would have to write letters for being late to prayer. You know what I'm saying? I was writing essays and stuff. I'm like, these kids, it's over. We need to bring down the hammer on them. I was so mad. Anyways, so he just very calmly, this pastor, is, he's, he's also pa he's passed away, but he had a shepherd's heart. He said, Nathan, mercy triumphs judgment. I said, where's that in the Bible? Because I don't know where that's at. N no joke. I said, I've never heard that. The church that I came up with in was no, 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 no. It was, it was we about to have some words this ain't flying, right? We got a, a standard of holiness in this church, and you just broke every standard that we've ever set, right? And the ones we're going to set now. And he just calmly, mercy triumphs judgment, mercy triumphs judgment, and it's in the Bible, James chapter 2, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I want, I was so we didn't, we, we sat him down, right? We talked to him, and it came to find, comes to find out his brother worked there. 
and his brother needed a ride. It was an incredible story. I mean, it was amazing. I'm like, how long did it take y'all to come up with this? No, no, but, but uh, that's what they told us, so we believed it. But, uh, but that was such a lesson for me because that was not how things were handled in the churches that I would, was a part of up to that point. And I think that when we, <laughs> when we believe the best in people, when we can pray for people, it's easier to let the fences go because there's no telling what the real story is. And people do, you know, crazy things. People make mistakes. But a lot of times there's more to it than we know, right? There's more information than we're not, that we're not privy to. And so Jesus hasn't called us to figure it out. He hasn't called us to set them straight. He said, pray for them. Show them mercy. It, 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 you know, it may cost you more in the long run, but you can win an argument and lose a person. And you may even be right. But pray for them. Pray for them. And here's the last one. And then we're going we're gonna to pray together. I, I want to kind of end it with a story because I think this is a pretty good one. Have you ever heard the story about the Canadian bird? Nobody has? So there's this Canadian bird, and it was in Canada, and it was tired of the communism up there. And No, I'm just kidding. It was tired of the cold weather. <laughs> I'm just going to offend everybody this morning. Just wait for it. I'm going to hurt. <laughs> no. So it was tired of the cold weather, and uh, it decided it was going to fly south. It, it couldn't handle the cold weather anymore, and it was freezing to death. And so this Canadian bird said, I'm going to fly south. I got to get out of this cold weather. And so this bird is flying south. And, and what begins to happen is it doesn't get very far and its wings begin to freeze. And it begins to get cold. It begins to tense up. And it falls out of the sky in this Canadian barnyard. And so it's laying on the ground, frozen, cold. And this Canadian bird's preparing for the worst, right? I'm, it's preparing to die. And then all of a sudden, this cow walks over this Canadian bird and just drops a pile on this bird. Okay? Y'all hang on. It gets better. And so this bird was about to die and freeze to death. And now a cow comes by, drops a pile on it, and all of a sudden it says, you know what? I think I'm going to live. <laughs> This, this warm pile, right, that was just dropped on me, it's, 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 it's my wings are, un, are unthawing, and so it, it begins to chirp, it begins to sing, and then this barnyard cat hears it. And he comes over to this pile of poop, wipes it off the bird, and eats the bird. Crazy story, but let me give you the point of it. Number one, Number one, not everybody that drops a pile on you is your enemy. Not everybody that hurts you and offends you has done something wrong. Second point, not everybody that wipes a pile off of you is your friend. And when life <laughs> drops a pile on you, Learn from it and let it go. 
Because we believe in the, in a gospel of Romans 8, 28. We believe that God is able to work. You know it. All things. All things. That's why I think Job said it was good for me that I was afflicted. It was good that my, you know, my friends turned on me. I mean, the, the stuff in our life that, that, that piles up on us, the offense, the pain, it's those things that God uses to grow us. But we have to be able to let it go and we can't live in it. We can't build trinkets in our hut, right? We can't, like, there's a most famous movie right now with all the kids. My son loves it. Every, if you've been alive the last five years, there's no way you haven't heard about Princess Elsa, right? And, and her song, Let It Go, right? Let it go. I mean, you, you could Google that song. Everybody in the world has sang that song. It said, but why did that song get so popular? And I want you to look at what she did. And really, we're going to pray. She, her version of letting it go was building a big ice castle and living alone. Have you seen the movie? And that's not what God has called us to do. And so I want you to do this. I want you to just bow your head and we're going to pray. We're going to end this message. Because when Jesus was telling his disciples it was impossible for offense to come, they replied with, well, Lord, give us faith because we don't have the ability nor the capacity to let it go in ourself and so Lord we come to you God and we ask have we let lessons become life sentences in our life is there some things that we need to let go of that we that we need to just move on from. It doesn't mean we're ever gonna, may never even see that person again. That person might not even be alive. But I know the enemy likes to tie people up with offense and unforgiveness. And the disciples' response to living a life free from offense was, Lord, give us faith. And so we do that right now. If you have somebody in your life that you've just had a hard time forgiving, if there's something in your life that you've really had a hard time letting go of, you should take this moment right now and ask God for faith. Because there's a connection between faith and forgiveness. So Lord, give us the faith to trust you, to move on from whatever it was, whoever it was, you know, however it happened, to just move on and say, you know what? All things, good, bad, and ugly, all things work together for good. Give us the faith, Lord, to be able to step out, not to take the bait, but to live free. So Holy Spirit, we open our hearts to you. God, we ask that you would speak to us, Lord, that you would give us this incredible gift to live a life where we don't keep score, to live a life where we don't keep any record of wrongs, we don't hold on to the bad, we embrace the good, we grab the good with both hands, we let the bad go. Lord, help us today to walk in that freedom. It's in your name we pray. Everybody said amen.